Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to WFAN's Baseball Insiders Yankees podcast for Friday, October 8th. Hey, October 8th, that's a good day in Yankees history. Don Larson's perfect game in 1956. Uh, But today, 2021, there is nothing happening in Yankees history because the Yankees are out. A couple of days to digest and uh, recover from the uh, stretch drive and the wild card game. It was a pretty dismal, disappointing loss to the Red Sox at Fenway Park. Uh, Not a lot happening, not a lot of action for the Yankees on Tuesday night. Uh, in a place where they dominated Boston just a couple of weeks earlier. You thought there was at least a chance for them to put some runs on the board, uh, but Nathan Avaldi took care of that, and Garrett Cole got the Yankees out of that game early on. Uh, you know, a lot, really, the offensive struggles showed up again against a pretty good pitcher, but Garrett Cole laid an egg in the wild card game, and uh, that was just the end of a kind of a brutal finish to the season for Garrett Cole. They're not using that hamstring injury as an excuse, but you got to think it's at least part of the reason he wasn't as effective. There's a clear, pretty clear line of demarcation. If you go back and look at his starts in August and September, he had a really good stretch right there, which included a big game over the A's, a 15 strikeout performance. Uh, even if you go back to July, this is after sticky stuff crackdowns. He had that huge game against the Astros and, yeah, his numbers, you know, his ERA went up a little bit. He wasn't quite as effective as early in the season. So certainly that had something to do with it. But he did pitch some pretty good games until that hamstring injury. Then all of a sudden, um, you know, only he knows how much it limited him. And he's not using his excuse. So we're not going to use an excuse either. He didn't pitch well. He He got the ball. He got the money for games like this to pitch well, match up, best. Uh, pitchers like Cavaldi, he didn't do it. Um, there's a tendency right now to jump on Garrett Cole and say he's not a big game pitcher. I've kind of, I kind of mentioned this before. You're not a big game pitcher until you are, right? Um, Andy Pettit had a bunch of games early in his career, uh, his postseason career, where he wasn't very good, including game one of the World Series in 1996. He flipped the script with game five, that one nothing shutout victory over John Smoltz and the Braves. 
and even after you know even after that he had a couple of clunkers too. Um, he actually seemed to get better as he got older. Um, but Andy Pettit has this great reputation as a as an October pitcher. We forget some of his earlier struggles. His first five starts, you know, didn't light anybody up. He had an ERA over six in his first five postseason starts. So um, again, the point there is you're not a big game pitcher until you are one. And we're going to tend to dwell on this with Garrett Cole. The problem is going to be that you can't get there again for another year, right? He's going to have to make 32 more regular season starts. And we're going to judge who he is off of those regular season starts. And if he has a great year next year, we're allowed to say he's a great pitcher and has a great year and have that little asterisk about October, but you can't fast forward to October. Okay. He's not going to get another chance to pitch in a postseason for another 12 months. So, uh, let's see how Garrett Cole comes out again next year. He still has a lot of money to earn with all the starts he's going to make in the regular season. And when we get to October again, we'll judge him again off of uh, off of you know his past October and what he's going to do moving forward there. But the bigger question for the Yankees is, you know, what is their core and how do they fix it going forward? You know Garrett Cole is part of this because he signed for a very long time. He just finished year number two, nine-year contract. And as I've said before, you didn't really sign him for years seven, eight, nine. You signed him for this early part here where he's still in his prime. This is where you're getting your money's worth here or should be getting your money's worth here. So Garrett Cole has a lot of work to do here in the offseason and and spring training again to get ready for another big season. He pitched like a Cy Young candidate for most of this season, Uh, probably Gave it away at the end because of his poor finish to the season, as we talked about in September. But he was absolutely one of the two or three best pitchers in the league the entire season on a whole. If you look at the balance of 30 starts, um, it's not going to sit that way after what happened in the wild card game on Tuesday. So moving forward, what do the Yankees do here? Well, if you look at it in this perspective, kind of the baby bombers run is over, you know, and it and it's over now. Uh, they gave it a pretty good run. You know, 2016 trade deadline, the Yankees seemed to remake themselves on the fly a little bit. In 2017, they had a huge September finish. I think it was 22-9 and nine to get into the playoffs and make a run to Game 7 of the ALCS. It looked like the future was bright for the Baby Bombers, and they added to that Giancarlo Stanton uh, in the winter and put themselves in a position to be you know, a dominant force again, although maybe they were lacking pitching. They took care of that when they signed Garrett Cole after the 2019 season. Well, you know, they lost in 2018 to the Red Sox. In 2019, they got as far as game six of the ALCS to the Astros. 2020, weird season. They took the Rays to game five of the division series. And in 2021, they got bounced in the wild card game. So this core of Yankee players has grown through a period of time when your last significant core of Yankees players had already gathered all their World Series hardware, most of it, right? The Yankees core, you know, the late 90s, first five years, they won four World Series championships. Uh, This Yankees team has not even gotten to one. So this core, as we see it, is, you know, I think it's kind of dead. Uh, the baby bombers are dead, especially because they're not babies anymore. Aaron Judge turns 30 next April, and that is pretty much a good line to draw when you're talking about, you know, are you are you kids anymore? No, you're not kids anymore. Gary Sanchez turns 29 in December. Glaber Torres turns 25 in December. He's still a very young man, uh, and that's important to remember as you 
uh, figure out what your future is with him. But moving forward here, you had a core of guys that got the farthest, they, the closest they got was still six wins away from winning a World Series. So where do you go from here? Um, I have some ideas. Uh, strong up the middle is something that the Yankees, well, any championship team wants to be strong up the middle. and The Yankees haven't been. Catcher, shortstop, center field. For various reasons, you had some players tied to that and you had hopes, but now it's it's kind of gone, okay? As I mentioned, Gary Sanchez turns 29 in December. He has one more year of control. He's arbitration eligible. And the same questions are going to be asked this winter as they were last winter. Do the Yankees bring him back? Is he worth is he worth even tendering a contract to? And I think it's a I think it's a very fair question and I'm not sure there's a great answer to it yet. Um, simply because I don't know if there's a lot of catching out there, okay? Uh, but it's I think it's easier now to cut ties with Gary Sanchez because you went through another full season, not a 60-game season. You went through another full season of trying to bring out the offensive potential in Gary Sanchez, and it didn't show up. It showed up in a little bit of power in a short period of time. There was a burst there, but then it disappeared. And Kyle Agashioka did not have a great year either. So the Yankees catching situation, while they are, while they combine for a lot of home runs, there isn't a, there isn't a lot of, uh, of value overall compared to other catchers around the league right now, because all they really had was power. Um, the other catching numbers, uh, you know, and, and, I'm not, I'm not going to break them all down here for you, but even just, just like holding runners, and uh, that's a lot on pitchers more than catchers. You steal on the pitchers. But the uh, that was a pretty good hallmark for Yankee catchers was their ability to slow down a running game and throw out base uh, base runners, and they didn't do so. They were both below average uh, throwing out base runners this year. Again, was that a lot on the pitchers? Maybe. Um, but that was one area where they were deficient. So might be time for the Yankees to rethink this catching model, perhaps a, a more even split of the playing time instead of trying to look for a guy who has the offensive potential like Gary Sanchez and trying to get him to catch 120 games. Maybe you're, um, or maybe like 110 games. Maybe you're trying to go more for an even uh, 50-50 split of the duties. And uh, that works if you can get your offense other places, which again, this isn't, you can't look at this individually in everything is is in a vacuum of the catcher is in a vacuum the shortstop is in a vacuum they're all part of the same puzzle here so part of the reason that uh, that you like the catching situation with the Yankees is the offensive potential you had in a position which doesn't necessarily provide that on a normal basis in other teams and uh, it might be time to to um, to move on from that with one more year of control for Gary Sanchez, he's probably going to cost you an arbitration. I don't know, maybe $8 million. Now the Yankees aren't as tied to that uh, luxury tax number, maybe more. You're not as tied to that luxury tax number perhaps because um, you, you get a reset and all of that's still to be determined by a collective bargaining agreement. We'll get to that later, but um, you do get a bit of you. It, it, let's assume you're playing under these rules right now. You get a reset. So maybe the Yankees are willing to go over a tax threshold. So that number doesn't mean as much right now, but $9 million for Gary Sanchez. If you're looking at overall payroll, you can probably do better than that right now and, and, and figure out how to spend your money uh, differently. Um, and if you do have the ability to go get other catchers somewhere, well, then it might be time to, uh, 
to make that move. Shortstop is a position where the Yankees, you know the Yankees have made a move, right? Glaber Torres is no longer the Yankees shortstop. Uh, he's no longer an option there for the Yankees shortstop. They made that perfectly clear in September, moved him over to second base. The question becomes, is he part of your future? As I told you, he turns 25 in December. That's still, a, you know, that's still really early to give up on somebody. Um, his power diminished this year a great deal. He hit better towards the end of the season, second half of the season, but his power was still a non-factor really for the Yankees this year. That's really what you wanted to see from a guy that you saw hit 30 home runs a couple of years ago. That's the player that you're trying to get back. Um, can you get that back if you keep him at second base for a full year and he's clearly more comfortable at that position? Maybe. So maybe that is your move is moving Glaber Torres to second base and finding a shortstop. That affects, again, not in a vacuum here. That affects everybody else. We'll get to that in a minute. You got to get, get a new shortstop. Lucky for you, there's a lot of shortstops available. And Corey Seager and Trevor Story are at the top of the list probably. And it wouldn't surprise anybody to see the Yankees in on these guys. Um, the idea, though, is that are you ready to commit long-term to one of these shortstops when you have a couple of pretty good shortstop prospects, a couple of really good shortstop prospects in your system? And that's not just Yankee evaluations. That's, you know, when you talk to people around the league, they value these guys a great deal. They do like Anthony Volpe. They do like Oswald Peraza. Um, are they long-term shortstops? Still up for debate. Are they shortstops right now? Maybe. So how about the idea of signing Corey Seager or Trevor Story with the idea that they move to third base when Volpe or Peraza are ready? Because that day isn't that far away. Because they're in the minor leagues, it's not about them being three, four, five years away. Look at it this way. Um, Anthony Volpe had a dominating season at high A and I'm, I'm going to be careful saying this. I'm going to tell you exactly what I mean, because you know, you, you can't project a 20 year career. Okay. But, um, everybody looks at the way a player, you know, when you look at the, the way Volpe dominated, uh, the minor leagues this year, low A into high A, um, look at the year Derek Jeter had when he played in high A. When he played in high A, it was 1994. By 1996, he was the Yankees shortstop. Now, I'm not saying Anthony Volpe is going to the Hall of Fame. I'm not saying Anthony Volpe is playing shortstop for the Yankees for 20 years. I'm saying that when you talk to people around the game, both around the Yankees and other teams, they see a player who's dominated and who has some of the same traits and characters that Derek Jeter displayed when he was 20 years old. That's what Anthony Volpe is, 20 years old. So it's not hard to say two years from now, he could be playing in the big leagues at a pretty high level. Uh, because of what he has shown right now. Oswald Peraza is at double A, so maybe the same kind of timeline. So could you sign Seager or Story and in two years move him over to third base? By that time, you're probably into free agency years for Gio Urshela, and he's going to be aging out of that spot anyway, and maybe that makes sense too. So again, looking at this as a big puzzle instead of just looking at individual positions, I think that might be something the Yankees could do. Um, and Urshela, if you're banking on Urshela comes back healthy and has an uptick in offense again, cause he was a down offensive player this year, maybe you're, you're willing to roll that dice again, uh, roll the dice again on Urshela being your guy, um, and thinking this is a down year. Um, that means DJ LeMay, who has to move somewhere because if you're bringing back Urshela at third and Torres at second, does DJ LeMay who moved to first now, uh, you like Anthony Rizzo. Uh, Luke Voigt is still here under control. 
Well, the Yankees made pretty clear they tried to trade Luke Voigt at the deadline. I would be surprised if Luke Voigt is back here again next year, given that. Uh, it's very rare for a general manager to say he actually tried to trade somebody on his roster. Um, and when it doesn't happen, you know, you're you're here with a player that you have told everybody that you tried to trade. So I would think he's going to be traded at some point this winter, which means do you reset Anthony Rizzo? Probably not long term. Um, you know, maybe he's on the other side of 30. Do you try to bring him back on a one or two year deal? If you do, what do you do with DJ LeMahieu? Uh, he's signed here long term at a pretty good number. You're hoping that he gets past the sports hernia surgery and rehabs and think, okay, maybe some of these physical issues are the reason he had a down year in 2021. You're counting on a bounce back because the guy, somebody else told me, you know, a guy who wins two batting titles isn't a fluky offensive player. Um, he's a guy who is a, is a really good major league hitter and you're counting on a bounce back. So the position left open for him now in this scenario is first base. Um, so now it means you've got first, second, third, and short if you're signing one of these um, free agents. So catcher, shortstop, center field. What do you do with center field? Aaron Hicks off of surgery? Not for me. Uh, I'm not making Aaron Hicks my fourth outfielder. It's an expensive fourth outfielder at $10 million per year, but I can't roll the dice here if, because of everything else that's happening in this equation. Uh, Aaron Judge comes back. As the right fielder, Giancarlo Stanton is your DH. who's going to play some outfield. You have Joey Gallos uh, under control for another year, but I'm wondering if you've seen enough of him to know that he's not going to fit here and maybe you non-tender him and, and, and figure out left field again, which in this case maybe has Giancarlo Stanton playing some left field. It gives you the option of maybe trying to find a truer center fielder basically is what I'm saying, and not just give it to Aaron Hicks. Find a true center fielder, and it makes Hicks an extra outfielder here, or maybe make him your left fielder. Brett Gardner wants to play. He, listen, it took a long time for him last year to be part of this design, and they brought him back late. I would not commit early to Brett Gardner. I wait to see what my other options are. I love everything Brett Gardner has done for the New York Yankees, but I'm not, you know, listen, the Yankees went down the road a long ways with Bernie Williams, who was a better player, a much better player than Brett Gardner, and they let him go at a certain point in time when they realized he wasn't fitting into the plan anymore. But they let that kind of linger late into the winter before everyone just kind of recognized it was time to move on. I would think it's probably the same kind of thing. No decisions are going to be made early here. Gardner wants to play. He'll have opportunities perhaps somewhere else and, and think about that. And, um, you know, the Yankees do have some decisions to make as far as where the rest of their outfield goes. I would think it might be time to not commit to 32-year-old Aaron Hicks as an everyday center fielder after missing another full season. Uh, it might be time to go get another center fielder as they thought about with Starling Marte. I'm not sure I'd sign him as a free agent, but they tried about they tried to get him in as a trade candidate. Marlins weren't budging off of certain high demands like Volpe, and the Yankees were never going to move on that. So Basically, it comes down to catcher, shortstop, center field have to be new players for the Yankees in 2022, and that's going to change this whole dynamic of the core. Um, we have plenty of time to figure out where they're going to go with all this. It might be a really long winter based off of the collective bargaining agreement, but that's kind of my idea. Up the middle, catcher, shortstop, center fielder, the Yankees have to go in new directions and remake this team on the fly because you've got a lot invested in Garrett Cole and Aaron Judge is going to be a $20 million player through arbitration next year. You're not 
wasting these guys in at that's at those salary numbers at their performance levels and Giancarlo Stanton too you're talking about three players who are going to make almost 100 million dollars about 100 million dollars by themselves right uh, you're not wasting that by rebuilding you're going to move on the fly here and reload and that's what the Yankees need to do up the middle uh, along those lines i think maybe closer is a spot where they could do some maneuvering uh Aroldis Chapman is due $16 million in one final season on his contract. I think you liked what you saw from Jonathan Loisega, right, who threw 70 innings this year, which is probably a decent normal closer's workload. And although he, he had a little bit of an issue with, um, with an injury at the end, I think overall he held up pretty good over 70 innings. And for all the comparisons that people made to Mariano Rivera, 1996. Remember what the Yankees did after 1996. They moved Rivera into the closer's role uh, and let him thrive. Now, again, I'm not making the same comparison. I'm not telling you that Jonathan Loisega is going to be the Yankees' closer for the next 17 years, and he is going to the Hall of Fame. But I'm telling you that if you're probably thinking about where you can remake this and maybe save a little bit of money, you could probably eat a little bit of that $16 million and get another team to take Aroldis Chapman, who is still an effective closer, but you could move Aroldis Ch- uh, you could move Jonathan Lewise again to the closer's role pretty seamlessly, I think, and still have some bullpen depth with uh, a guy like Chad Green, who made a ton of appearances and is very durable. And, uh, and you have, still have a lot of bullpen arms that you like there. And think about, you might be able to add a free agent pitcher on a short-term deal like a like a Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander and see what, you know, take your chances on those guys. But you have a pretty good stable of arms to pick a rotation from, I think, with Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, Jamison Tyone, Jordan Montgomery, Domingo Herman, Nestor Cortez Jr., Luis Heal, Clark Schmidt, and Davey Garcia. The ninth name I mentioned on this list is Davey Garcia, who had a very bad year at AAA, but is still young enough to say – um, okay, maybe he bounces back here if you fix him and and has, can still have him be a contributor here. Um, there are some arms to pick from for a starting rotation and maybe add one more big arm uh, and make a big expenditure like the Yankees have done in the past. Not out of the realm of possibility. But I think you are able to possibly move on from, as I, as I mentioned in the, along the way here, um, Gary Sanchez. Luke Voigt, Joey Gallo, Aroldis Chapman, uh, Brett Gardner. Uh, you probably have the ability to move on from all these guys and still build a pretty good team and hope you get some bounce backs from LeMahieu and Torres, especially offensively, because I think you have higher hopes for them offensively than you do Gio Urshela. Urshela could be serviceable as long as he's healthy and plays third base, and we'll see where you go. After that, you go to manager, right? And we'll get more into this as we get going here because I think that um, you know there's going to be more time to digest the manager and general manager situations when we hear their end of season recaps, which I would ho- I would I was hoping we'd have gotten to by now, but we we don't yet. So um, let's see where you go with the manager general manager situations. But I will tell you this: Aaron Boone might be back, and it's going to anger a lot of you. I don't. Here's the kind of the realization I came to. The realization I came to about the manager is that you're probably not going to be happy with whoever the manager is, because the one thing I recognized over the years here, whether it's on the radio or on social media with Joe Girardi and then later Aaron Boone, the manager is is 
has already angered you at three o'clock that day when the lineup comes out. He's already an idiot at three o'clock in the afternoon. So it's kind of hard to redeem yourself by 10 o'clock that night. Um, because if you won the game, you probably won in spite of yourself because you were a moron seven hours earlier when the lineup came out because you put out the wrong, wrong lineup. Um, it's part of the job. It's just part of what happens and it's part of what we deal with here. I understand you have a very passionate opinion about who these players are and, and who this team is. And you spend a lot of time and energy into it and you're entitled to it. Uh, but it's a hard standard for the manager to to live up to when he's an idiot at three o'clock already because he put out the wrong lineup. Uh, and every pitching change he makes is the wrong one. And when you win, it's in spite of yourself because you have a huge payroll and you're supposed to win anyway. So with that being said, whether it's whether it's Aaron Boone or somebody else, you're going to hate the manager at some point. OK, maybe you're going to like whoever they hire if they hire somebody else. But when he puts out the lineup on opening day or the next day, it's like, why is he sitting this guy? And why is this guy batting here? And this guy's this guy's an idiot. Why? You know, why can't we get someone else? That's just part of that. That's it comes with the job, I guess. Um, I just don't think that there's going to be somebody who satisfies you in that role because at some point they're going to lose three or four games in a row and it's going to be the manager's fault because he, he, he doesn't know how to get these guys going. The one thing I will tell you is that there are absolutely times when managers deserve to get fired because they've lost their team. They've lost their players. They've lost the clubhouse. I don't think Aaron Boone ever lost the clubhouse. He was pretty steadfast in standing by his players and you know, a bad manager will lose his players. These players didn't quit on Aaron Boone. They just weren't good enough. And I think there's a difference. So, um, and that didn't, that's not me here telling you that Aaron Boone deserves to come back. I think it's a fair discussion to say, okay, here you are in a new cycle. You gave him four years. Are you better off? Are you able to, is it working the way you wanted it to? And is this the plan going forward? That's Brian Cashman's decision, and that's a whole other discussion, right? Does Brian Cashman deserve to be back? Well, he has another year left in his contract, and Hal Steinbrenner isn't likely to move on from that or make that decision. Is it possible they tie that he ties both of them together for one more year, um, and and then decides again? Is that a, a, a job that Aaron Boone will be comfortable with one more year, and he and Brian Cashman are both tied to this? Who knows? I do know that Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone like each other and work very well together with each other. And if it was simply up to Brian Cashman, he would bring Aaron Boone back. I don't know that it's simply up to Brian Cashman. In fact, I know it's not. This is Hal Steinbrenner's decision. And Hal Steinbrenner hasn't been very impetuous. He makes uh, uh, calculated decisions. And let's wait to see what kind of calculated decisions he makes uh, moving forward here. Uh, I will have plenty of time to discuss the GM and the general manager stuff. And I will do that after uh, in more greater detail after they have their end of season recaps with the media and answer some of these questions about how the season went went awry and why it didn't go as planned and what their future plans are here, what they think are the solutions going forward for 2022. But uh, I think that's kind of my main take. And it, actually, I was inspired listening to Evan Roberts uh, on the radio on Thursday talk about how, you know, somebody called and asked him about Don Mattingly. Like, and he was right. You don't want Don Mattingly to be the manager because you're going to hate Don Mattingly five minutes after he becomes manager. Uh, or, you know, whatever pitching change he makes, whatever lineup he puts out, you're going to hate Don Mattingly. When the team has, has lost seven in a row, you're going to want to fire Don Mattingly. Or when they're two games out of first place or, or three games under 500 at the end of May, you're going to want to fire him. 
And that's not any fun, right? So not that Mattingly is available. He's already the manager of the Marlins. But you get the idea that whoever this manager is, there's going to come a point in time where it's it, you're just not going to like him. Uh, and that time is, is sooner rather than later. So um, I, I don't think it should be a somebody. I don't think you should want somebody to be a manager. I think you should just let whoever is to be a manager and then be mad at him because you're just going to be mad at him, right? Um but we'll get more into the manager and general manager stuff after they have their end of the season recaps. Uh, listen, there's plenty of more stuff here. It's going to be a busy winter. We're going to be bringing you back stuff. I'm going to do some playoff recap, uh, some playoff analysis too, with some special guests in the next couple of weeks here as we go through the postseason, through the division series and the LCS and the World Series. And it's still fun to watch baseball. Even though your team's not in it, it's still fun to watch baseball. Let's have some fun watching it, and we'll break it all down for you. Uh, this is just a little primer on what I think kind of might and will happen, and we will dive into all that some more as we get going. Uh, so keep coming back here. Subscribe to the WFAN's Baseball Insiders, Ed Coleman's Mets Reports, my Yankees Reports, delivered right to you. And we'll do some more Me and Eddie C coming up along the winter, too. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll share some thoughts uh, together on the fortunes of the local baseball club. So keep coming back, subscribe, review, and all that jazz. And until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thanks for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You spend over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t-mobile.com.